welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Punch It, episode 43. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and with me, as always, is... Tristan Riddell. Tristan, it is so good to be back. I was quarantined in sickbay for a whole week. Can you believe that? It's true. It's true, people. We were not lazy. This is not uh, us trying to get away from it all. This was a clear-cut case of Char just being too ill to podcast, but uh, we have some interesting stuff to give you today because you are you're healthy. You're out of sick bay. You've gotten a hypo spray. You're good to go. Finally, yes, the hypo sprays. For whatever reason, I had to have a whole series for a while. I was quarantined. I couldn't. I could even. I couldn't even really move that much. I mean, the doc was just really tough on me this time. I mean, dang. I know that we joke, and I know that like that's a very common thing in some Star Trek podcasts and podcasts in general, like geek podcasts and everything like that too pretend like we are in the future in the 24th century things like that (laughs) but there are so many times i feel like because we surround ourselves with 24th century stories and 23rd century stories we we surround ourselves with these ideas and these concepts so much that we get chagrined when we can't just go turn on the emh and have him diagnose us and then just slap us with a hypo spray and then we're all good to go and ready to go. Like there's so many times and even in like serious sad cases where I see family members kind of go down the drain. I think I know this is stupid, but I think about Star Trek and I'm just like I have these fantasies of taking them to a bio bed and somehow going through a wormhole and winding winding up on Deep Space 9 and Bashir can take care of everything. You know, like it's just it's this weird sensation where obviously I know it's not real, but that fantasy just kind of burrows into my brain and says, what if? Right? Well, I mean, that is the hope for the future that we all believe in. The things that we want in a future that Star Trek portrays. I think medical technology is advanced as it is. We have so much further that we can go. And especially with things like terminal illnesses like cancer and things that just like Alzheimer's, things that we know... Mm-hmm. Uh, especially as you get older, chances are you're going to get something like that. Man, if a hypo spray could just take care of that, or in the case of Star Trek IV, where McCoy gives that lady a pill, she swallows it, and she has a brand new kidney. I mean, <laughs> would that not just be fantastic? I mean, I just had a sinus infection, okay? I got an antibiotic, I'm fine. But if something were really serious going on, boy, do you bet that I wish I had a hypo spray. I was wishing I had it just a week ago, because I, I couldn't breathe very good. Oh, I love that. I love that moment in, in Star Trek The Voyage Home where McCoy gives her a pill and he's like, take this and call me in the morning. And she's just she, like minutes later, she's in the in the in the yeah. wheelchair just going like, doctor gave me a pill. I got a new kidney. Doctor gave me a pill. I got a new kidney. <laughs> I love that lady so much. She's so great. It was. It was such a good moment. I love that movie so much. If only that's what we were talking about today. Oh, Yes, this is not going to be quite as happy of a time, but you know what? This is Punch It. We have a lot of energy that we're going to inject into our subject for today, and you know what? We're going to make it better. I was going to say, we're going to make it a good time. 
Yeah. Right. We we have a lot to work with here. And what we are doing today, folks, is we are talking about Star Trek Nemesis. Yes, we teased this. We debated it. We didn't know if we wanted to get right into it after redoing or rewriting the pilot of Star Trek The Next Generation. And you know what? The whole bookend thing sold me. And you were already on board. And so we just said, ah, come on, let's just go for it. So here we are. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, this is a this is widely considered one of the worst, if not the worst, Star Trek film of all time. I think until Star Trek Into Darkness came about, I think it was it was pretty much this and Star Trek V: The Final Frontier. It's clearly yes. the worst of the Next Generation movies. Out of the four, this is number four. Yep, I think without a doubt, there's going to be a, a majority of people saying that that is the case. Now, I do know that there are a couple people who really do love this movie and appreciate this movie. They are out there. And there's maybe another bigger percentage of people who say, I like moments in the film, but overall, I think it's a piece of crap. I think that is sort of where I'm at. I'm, I'm partially in that camp where I've got the one leg there, I've got the other leg in. No, it's just a piece of crap. I never want to watch it again. I think I texted you after I watched the movie. I said, I think I'm good for another 10 years. That's about as often as I watch it. <laughs> I uh, this film did not bother me as much as everybody else. Oh, do tell. Now I, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying it's a good film. You know, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's not. I'm I'm able to recognize when something is not a good film. I can separate what I like and what's not good when it comes to a film. Uh-huh. I, I've always been. It's always been easy for me to do that. With this film, this is not a good film. This is not a well-made film. This is uh, probably the worst directed film since Star Trek V. And mm, yeah, I agree. And it's just uh and and like some of the people that you're talking about, there are moments that I enjoy. There's certain things that harken back to the series that I like that are fun. Overall, I feel like Star Trek Nemesis is not just one big missed opportunity. It's about twenty-five missed opportunities within. <laughs> right. I think maybe where we should start is we should talk about the things that we do like and then also talk about why it did not work. And since this is, of course, a writing podcast, writing's going to have a whole lot to do with it. And then maybe that's going to give us the stepping points from which we rewrite it and make it better. Okay, so let's start with the positive. What do you like about Star Trek Nemesis? One thing that this film did get right is this crew... We have known for 15 years at this point. They are comfortable around one another. They get along with one another. They have fantastic repertoire. You can see it on screen. The chemistry is just there flying back and forth, and it's a lot of fun to watch. And so this movie does portray this crew as a very long-time cohesive unit, as it should, and that part of it is fun. I love watching that. What do you think? This one, I love Tom Hardy in this. This was Tom Hardy before he was Tom Hardy. This was supposed to be his breakout role. This was supposed to be the movie that made him a star. I remember that. And I think it's great that he became a star in spite of this film. But I definitely think that his performance is one of the shining spots of of this film. And apparently I have no idea if this is true zero idea if it's at all true but apparently his life took a huge hit after this film because really it was supposed to be his big break and that didn't happen 
And a lot of things just went wrong right after this movie came out. Apparently, he got a lot of hate from Star Trek fans. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, which makes me really disappointed and sad. And his relationship dissolved. He turned to drinking and he had thoughts of suicide. Oh, wow. And then he did another project called Bronson, which really stretched his artistic endeavors. And that launched him and got noticed by some other companies. And he said that only after Bronson did he make his peace with Nemesis. And that just terrifies me that, like, we may just see it as a crappy movie and just another domino in the in the Star Trek anthology, but to Tom Hardy, to people, to actors in films that we just consider bad films, this is their shot. This is their career. This is their livelihood. And the idea that Star Trek fans, with their online hate and horrible letters and egregious attitudes could cause somebody to have a hard time in their life or contribute to it really gets to me and really makes me sad. Yeah, I did not know about Tom Hardy and the fact that he went through such a difficult period in his life after Nemesis. I feel bad for him too. I mean, I don't blame him at all for this movie sucking. I, I, I'm sure no. he poured his heart and soul into it. And his, his portrayal of this character was good. You don't have to like the character, but don't hate the actor. Yeah, of course, of course. Like, he did yeah. not contribute to this being a poor film whatsoever. I think he... No. And I'm so glad that he's rebounded. Thank goodness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What else do I like about this film? Uh, I, I know this... Uh, this is kind of a cop-out, but I just love seeing everybody again. You know, like I love Riker and I love <laughs> Troy and I sure, love Worf sure. and I love Jordy. And I, I just, I love being in that world again. And I love that it had a different feeling to it. I love that it was shot differently from the other films. It had a different color palette. Very much so, yeah. It was edited differently. I like that it dealt with the Romulans in some respect. Uh, yes, yeah, same here. That's kind of a mixed bag for me. Yeah, like I like that it attempted to deal with the Romulans. <laughs> that's the that's the correct wording right there. They attempted. Yeah. I love the idea that they went there, but the execution, well, we'll talk about that more later. Yeah. I'd say those are the biggest things. It's just like I loved giving Riker a send-off and getting his own ship that needed mm -hmm. to happen and Tom Hardy's performance. I think those were my two favorite things. Okay. All right. Well, I think one thing that we, you did not mention is the fact that Troy and Riker got married. Finally, oh, we have geez, the yeah, wedding toast. Course. I mean, oh my gosh, this movie does start out on such a beautiful, optimistic and positive and warm and fuzzy note. And it's a beautiful thing. And then as the movie goes on, unfortunately, it ends on quite a bit of a downer of a note. But it starts off pretty good. <laughs> so at the end of the film, there's this moment where... Picard is talking to Riker in his ready room or the quarters. I can't remember, something like that. And Riker is disembarking. He's going, he's leaving the Enterprise and going to the Titan. This is it. Like It's this, finally happening. Th this Captain Exo relationship that we've seen since 1987 is finally coming to an end. And they keep it simple. And Riker says, with difficulty, he says, serving with you has been an honor. And Picard says, the honor was mine. Captain Riker. And I'm getting emotional just talking about it right here. But in the Blu-ray set of the Next Generation movies, there's a bonus disc where it has Frakes, Stewart, Nimoy, and Shatner 
all talking together, moderated by Goldberg. And it's a great doc. It's a great bonus feature. And Patrick Stewart talks about this moment where he says that he couldn't get the line out because he was so emotional that he he couldn't do the scene. Oh, I believe it. After 15 years, and they did not even know for sure if this really would be the last TNG movie, there is a massive sense of finality to this scene and to this movie. Yes, yes, there was. I mean, they, I think, like, as they were making the film, I think they kind of understood. They're like, oh, yeah, this, this is going to be the Do you think they kind of knew because... Well, I don't know. Are we still talking about positives or have we moved on at this point? Oh, we can is move on got? because okay. <laughs> John- Jonathan Frakes, Marina Sirtis, and LeVar Burton all hated working with the director. Who was? Who was Stuart Baird, who had no business directing this film. He had absolutely yeah. zero business directing this film. Stuart Baird is a fantastic editor, okay? He's, he's yeah, the guy who edited... Thing. He's edited Skyfall, Casino Royale, Lethal Weapon, Die Hard 2, and I'm pretty sure he edited Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, and The Legend of Zorro, Maverick, Demolition Man, uh, you know, Lady Hawk, and the original Superman, and it's just like the list goes on and on. He's a genius editor, but he's a horrible director, and he did not understand Star Trek, and he lamented directing Star Trek because he didn't want to direct a movie with pre-established characters, pre-established sets, and pre-established relationships. He hated working within a canon. <laughs> it really makes you wonder why he wanted, why he took the job. Because for one thing, okay, I get it if he wanted to become a director, like, oh, this is my in, maybe this is my chance, I have to take it. But if you don't feel up to the task, I mean, being a director is no small feat. Maybe you ought to wait for something that's maybe a little bit of a better fit. You'd think so. I, I'm angrier at Paramount for picking him and offering him the chair. Cause... Yeah, because editing and directing are two different things. And just because you're a mad scientist at one clearly does not mean you're going to be masterful at the other. Some people are. I don't think a lot of people are, though. Well, no, like a lot of no, a lot of people start out in other areas. Like a lot of there's a lot of great directors who started out as special effects supervisors. There's a lot of directors who started as writers or or cinematographers. You know, it's they and they work their way up to directing. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And this is one of those situations where it absolutely 100% didn't. And so I blame Paramount and John Logan, the guy who wrote it wrote some of my favorite movies of all time. John <laughs> Logan wrote Gladiator. He wrote The Last Samurai, The Aviator, Sweeney Todd, Skyfall, Spectre, and just... Yeah. Those are amazing films. Yeah, those are all really big movies. I think maybe what we're getting at is that Paramount took a risk yeah. on people who they thought were really talented that were going to succeed, but you know what? Maybe they were not a fit for Star Trek, and maybe they were not a fit for their particular position in the case of Stuart Baird. They gave them the wrong sandbox to play in. Yep. Because these are two talented people, but in the wrong universe. And like, I know we need to start rewriting it because we're coming up on 20 <laughs> minutes, but... I think one of the biggest things that I think, like, at the core of it, if once you take out directing, once you take out writing, (laughs) like, you focus on the story. I think one of the biggest things that pissed me off was Mm -hmm. it was another data story. 
Right. Did we really need that, especially after first contact? Insurrection had heavy data. And Picard, too. I mean, I get it. He's the main guy. He's the captain. Yeah. But at the expense of everybody else, again. And even after Generations. Generations was way heavy on Like, all of the movies have been heavy on data. And surprise, surprise, the screenplay is by John Logan. And the story is by John Logan, Rick Berman, and Brent Spiner. Yeah. I don't think that was such a good idea. Now, I like Brent Spiner, and he did an amazing portrayal of Data. He's beloved in my heart. But I think when you start getting the actors meddled in this deep, with this much of a stake in their character and what, how much of a say that they have with the story, of course it's going to become a little bit more centric on their characters. I mean, we even, I think we kind of got a little bit more of that with Patrick Stewart, too, where he started making demands where he wanted to go four-wheeling, so guess what's in this movie? Yeah. He yeah, wanted some action true. and adventure, and so what did they do with him? They gave him a four-wheeler, and they went riding in the sand dunes. I think we have seen it done well because, like, Nimoy did it well with the original movies. He was able That's to true. not make it all about him. And I'm blanking on the guy's name. Oh, my gosh. He played Scotty in the new films. Oh, Simon Pegg. Uh, I mean, there was a little more Scotty in Star Trek Beyond, but his contribution, I think, had a lot more meaning. Yes. Yes. In terms of, okay, that makes a lot of sense why that happened the way it did. Did he get more lines? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, he very much got more lines, but it didn't feel like a vanity project. This felt like a vanity project. Yes, very much, very much. It felt like they were catering to the actor's wish list. So as we rewrite it, as we work on what, what works and what doesn't work, here, here's a main question. Here's a question that we need to address. Do we mm-hmm. strip it down to nothing and say, okay, insurrection is over. What's the story that needs to be told? Or do we keep the whole clone storyline and build off of that? Oh, yeah, this is a very big question. And I like the the former question of where do we go from here? What kind of a story should we tell? Because let's be honest, the whole clone story, we had no real inkling of this from the past. It's not something that's come back to haunt Picard. It just sort of comes out of the blue and, oh, here it is. Now mm-hmm. we got to deal with it. My personal opinion is we need to find a reason to care about this movie. And there, I think there's a lot of things that this movie tried to do that tried to make us care, but it's almost also like they didn't really know what to do with it because they packed in as many things as they could. I mean, they had a character death, sort of. Uh, they had pretty much like almost destroy the Enterprise. And then, of course, we see it's all prettied up again in Space Dock. We use a mess or weapon of mass destruction and they're just going for all the stops, right? So rather than generating excitement, it, it actually it feels like too much and it feels like desperate overcompensation of action sequences to mask a story we didn't care much about because I did not care much about Star Trek Nemesis. I think it wanted us to care. We should have cared about B4 because it's related to Data, but I didn't. We should have cared about Shinzon because he's a clone of Picard and he's an evil Picard, but I didn't. So why is that? Maybe we should start out dissecting those things and then like branching out and saying, maybe we keep it or dump it. Or do we just sweep it out and say it all sucked and do something else? I feel like it would definitely be easier to start over 
<laughs> but I feel like doing a rewrite, we should keep the clone storyline because we're not really rewriting Nemesis if we're not keeping the clone story. I don't know. I okay, Maybe. Yeah, I guess- you know what? Yes, we need to make that distinction. If we're eliminating too much of the main story, we're just writing a new movie. We are rewriting, and therefore some elements have to stay in place. Now, what those things are, we get to decide. Okay, I think here we might need to write a sequel to Insurrection as opposed to rewriting Nemesis. And Ooh, do you think? What well, would we do with that? Well, rewriting a, a sequel to Insurrection is basically just starting over. That's true. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm saying with that. And I also have no idea. I, I don't know if I care enough about Insurrection to warrant a sequel. That's not going to get people into the theater. You are taking what I'm saying very differently. I'm sorry. A sequel to Insurrection would just be the next movie. Like I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not saying. Yeah. I'm not saying we need to revisit the Sona or or, or anything like okay. that or, or the Baku. I'm saying that. Okay. We ex- we act like Nemesis never happened, and what would have what would be in its place, not what would Nemesis look like if it had a different director and different writer. Okay, okay. I thought, yeah, I did take your words a little too literally, and I thought, what are <laughs> we going to do with Insurrection? That alone was not a great movie. You, that, That's not a good springboard for an even better movie. <laughs> so I think the clone aspect or some sort of evil Nemesis character in a way that is something we could potentially work with. My big question is B4 and the Romulans. Should it still be the Romulans? I say completely ignore B4. We're going to get rid of that. No B4, no nothing. Okay. And I say, okay, let's keep the clone aspect. I'm, I'm getting, the juices are flowing So uh, in my head right now. So let's go ahead and, and, uh, and erase the whiteboard here. So Okay. So we'll keep the clone storyline and we'll get into that. I want to jump ahead a couple of years. All right. So I want the beginning of Nemesis to establish things are different. The Enterprise is established. We see the sweeping shot. You know, the Sovereign class ship is is going through a nebula. And then all of a sudden we hear Captain's log, but it's Data's voice. Oh, shocker. And then we're on the bridge and holy crap, it's Data. And he's there. And he is the captain of the Enterprise E. So we're several years in the future. But where is Captain Picard? Exactly. That's what everybody's asking. And that's what everyone's trying to figure out. And let's say that this is the teaser. This is before the opening credits or anything like that. And Data engages with a Romulan warbird. And when the screen comes on, we see a young Picard. Someone who actually looks like Picard. (laughs) yes that whole aspect of me i love the fact that they tried to explain that away a couple of differences in the facial features Mm -hmm. not working for me Mm -mm. yeah and they battle and we don't know what happens to the enterprise is it destroyed did everybody abandon ship you know like they get their ass handed to them like this is pre-2009 so we can do this okay so it's not looking good yeah and then so we, we don't know its fate and then boom Cut to black, Star Trek Nemesis. And then it moves on, and all of a sudden, we're on the Titan. Oh, wait. One one quick side note. Wait, while we're going through the credits, can we please change that horrible font for the title <laughs> sequence? What the hell is that thing? 
Oh, I, I think that was one of Stuart Baird's things that he was very proud of. He's like, you oh get it? It's a God. mirror. It's a mirror image of itself. Just uh, like Tom Hardy he... is a mirror of Patrick Stewart. It's one of those things where people try to be so deep with fonts and it ends up looking silly. Sort of like when people use papyrus and they're trying to be all insightful oh, and God. spiritual and deep. No, you fail. It's like Comic Sans is only good if you teach kindergarten, guys. It's yeah. not a fun font. So that just, yeah, okay. Rant over. Sorry. Moving <laughs> I'm a on. Font nerd. <laughs> I got into a bit of a tangent there. But anyway, we're changing that font and it can be anything but that stupid thing. So, see, we're on the Titan and Riker is. Riker is the captain. He's he's there. He's running his ship. He's running his crew. Things are lighthearted. Okay, like this is like this is where we start to feel like normal Star Trek, where okay. and Deanna's with him, correct? Yes, of course. They're married, and we establish that. Wait, wait, wait. So we're gonna miss the wedding. We miss the wedding. Further than the f- oh. we miss the wedding. And okay, I'm a little disappointed. Feel free to stop because I'm kind of on a roll. I don't want to steamroll you, but well, no. I, if you're on a roll, I want you to go with it. Okay, cool. So we're on we're on the Titan. Rikers there. The Rikers are there, and right. uh, we establish that they're married. We see the rings. You know, they make the whole exposition. Oh, your wife is calling. You know that kind yeah. of thing. Hello, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so they're having a good time. And of course, people are over to visit for some reason. Like, <laughs> Worf is there to visit. Yes. Because that's how he gets in the damn movie. I just I love how this movie doesn't even explain why Worf is there. He's just there. Well, he's there for the wedding. Sure. Okay. No, yeah. no, no. It was it was insurrection that didn't explain it. Where well, Picard, that's true. I mean, yeah, yeah. Picard says he's like, Mister Worf, what the hell are you doing here? He's like, Well, actually, it's an interesting story, yeah, and then they cut know. away. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. It's it's true. Uh, yeah, he was there for the wedding. It's just I love how they don't even it's like, they don't even put in a line like, Hey, so glad you could make it. Just nope, he's there and he's here for the ride, again. So like he's there, but he's not a member of Starfleet. Because Worf is not Worf? a member of yeah, Worf is not a member of Starfleet. Because if you remember, at the end of Deep Space Nine, he leaves Starfleet, which Nibisus conveniently forgot. That's so very true. He's a member of the Klingon High Council or something like that, and so he's like maybe he's a dignitary, so he's there for political reasons. Okay, love it. Makes sense. And yeah, like maybe maybe the Titan is working heavily with the Klingon Empire for some reason or another. Ooh, that could be interesting so not to cut in on your role here but are we going to be focusing on klingons more instead of romulans or are we going to have a little bit of both or is this this just sort of like a side story i think this is a side story that could come up later okay i I think this is a side story that we established so that it's not dos ex machina towards the end okay got it where maybe the titan and the enterprise need some help against the romulans and holy shit the you know the klingons are here Right, who swoops in but a fleet of bird of praise or something like that. Yeah, oh man, you can see it and Worf is at the helm. <laughs> it's like, today yeah, is well, a good day to die. Prepare for ramming speed. Yeah, exactly. Wait, exactly. Wrong movie. So we can have okay. one of those moments at the end and it's not a complete waste or okay, a, a, cool. a complete weird setup. And so so maybe like Worf is there for a little bit, then he goes off and leaves halfway through the movie, whatever, broad strokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Enterprise, before it's either is destroyed or out of commission or abandoned or captured, whatever, it gets off a, mis- a message and Reiter gets a, uh, a communique and it's from HQ and they're like, yeah, you might be interested in this. The Enterprise, we don't know if it's destroyed or down or what, but Captain Data 
sent out a distress signal and you're the closest one to the area. We need you to investigate mm -hmm. it. They're not answering hails. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then Riker says, he's like, well, I will do it under one condition. I need someone who's an expert on the Enterprise to help me or something like that. Like he gives up some reason. He's like, I got to go pick up Ambassador Picard. Ambassador Picard. I knew that was coming, but I still love it. Now, do we make him an ambassador or do we make him an, an admiral? You know, Kirk told him some time ago for them to never promote him. I think Picard took that advice to heart. He is an ambassador. Awesome. I like that. I like that. They never promote him to admiral because I like that idea that like if he's not going to be a captain, then he's not going to be a member of Starfleet. He's going to still be a member of the Federation. But if he once he's done captaining, he's going to leave Starfleet altogether. He's going to leave starships altogether. Yeah, and honestly, Picard is getting a little bit older. Maybe he wants to settle down just a little bit. Maybe he and Beverly have both settled down even. Now, is that too much to have Riker and Deanna hook up and have... Is that too much of a fan service to have Beverly and Picard oh, get married too? I know some people would say yes, but if you play it really subtle, like if we're not showing makeout scenes every time they're together... Just establish that, hey, they live in the same quarters or what have you. Maybe they're not married, but they're living together. You know, like maybe yeah, they're in maybe a relationship. Yeah, maybe they're not married yet. Maybe we get the Picard and Crusher wedding at the end if we really want to put in a wedding. <laughs> I, like right. that, I like that idea. I like that idea. Sacrifice the, the Riker-Troy wedding for a Picard-Crusher wedding. I like that. So there we go. So, okay, he's an ambassador. Beverly and him are living together. In the comic books... In the pre-2009, in the lead-up to Star Trek 2009, they had a comic book that mm -hmm. established Data as the captain of the Enterprise-E and established Picard as an ambassador. So I am definitely, oh, I am definitely borrowing from that. Okay, I, you, you know that I don't read comic books. I had no idea that this was that same track. The thing is, it's one of those things that once you hear, it's such a good idea, it's hard not to use it. Fair enough. So I'm not trying to pass these on my, off as my own ideas. I just think that these are great ideas that we should continue and that we should use because it makes sense. And I believe that they made Picard the ambassador to Vulcan. Oh, interesting. Okay, we could work with that for sure. Do you think that makes sense or do you want to do something different? Yes, because with the Vulcans and the Romulans having some common ancestry, if we work with the Romulans, maybe there's some thread there. Or potentially, do we make him the ambassador to Romulus? Oh. Oh, that would make more sense as to why Picard would be there. True. Like, on the Enterprise. Not just, like, because we don't need an expert on the Enterprise. Well, no, I mean, that's Riker. I mean, he's, he was on that ship <laughs> just as long, pretty much. I mean, he knows the Enterprise through and through. So, that is how he needs Picard. There you go. There you go. But why is he not on Romulus, then? Hmm... Maybe, well, I don't know if you have a Romulan story plot, but what if he was sent away conveniently for something? I don't know if we want to take the thread from Nemesis of having a rebel government establish a coup or something like that. Yes, yes. Let's keep that from Nemesis where, okay, so instead of just straight up killing the Federation dignitaries that are on Romulus, they told Picard... And they told the Vulcans, we're interested in continuing Spock's unification idealism of opening up 
a conversation of reconnecting with Vulcan and Romulus. And so they tell Picard, we're very serious about this. And we want you, the Picard, to negotiate (laughs) this peace. Because you have ties on Vulcan and because you're the Romulan ambassador, we want you to be the first step. And so Picard is just all about this. He's like, all right, I'll go to Vulcan right away. Right. And really, they were lying to him so that a coup could happen and they could take over Romulus and make it into a militarized government again. Right. And become isolationists. Yeah, without somebody stepping in and saying, hey, 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 let's talk this out. Let's negotiate. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it's not just Picard. Maybe he's, you know, they've sent a delegation of ambassadors, uh, dignitaries, yada, yada, to set the stage. I mean, we don't need to get too specific, but a lot of key players who might have been there to intervene, gone. Yes. Yes, yes. And so when Riker gets the message from HQ, they say, and you got to make one stop before you head on your way. And that's to Vulcan. And then when he gets there and Picard is pissed, he is just livid. He's just How like, he's dare like, they dupe me? Yeah, exactly. I was played. I, I, they made me into a fool and I need to get back there to see what, see what's going on, especially now that my ship could be destroyed. Is Picard going to feel a lot of guilt for falling for this ploy. I mean, I think he's going to take it very personally. He feels, I'm sure, like he's got enough years of experience to where he should have seen right through this. A lot of people have lost their lives, no doubt, and potentially his friends aboard the Enterprise. Yeah. And so yeah, he's going to be more than ready to take some action, and so they're going at warp 10 on their way to Romulus once Riker picks him up. So I want to say that LaForge is with Data on Enterprise E. I have to agree, yes. Now, do we want to say that LaForge is on his way on the command track and he's his XO? You know, I was questioning that just as you were talking about it. That does have some logic to it. Do we want a new chief engineer then? Could this be Hmm. a new character? Could that be interesting? Because... I don't know. Is it a good thing or a bad thing to put some new blood in here at some point? I think the chief engineer can definitely be a new character that we haven't seen before. And maybe we spend time with this person. Maybe we don't. Uh, One thing that just popped in mind uh, and a rumor that went around a lot is that Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine was going to spend some time on the Enterprise E in this movie. Oh, right. Yeah, there was that whole rumor that she was going to have some sort of a cameo or, or something. And then ultimately Kate Mulgrew got two seconds in the movie. What if we make her the science officer on the E and she could have a side role, more than a cameo, but less than a a starring role. Okay. I like that because it does give the fan service that having seven of nine there would bring, but it like say, I don't know. Should we make her the engineer? Should we just flat out promote her to chief engineer? I no no it no? doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right mm. I think it, it's she's got to be the science officer she's got to be the data of the new enterprise I see her in engineering now and I don't know why I but I, I, I'm not I gonna know. I'm not gonna plant my flag and say no but it just I don't know it, if it feels that right to you I guess we can uh I mean I I know it doesn't totally fall in line with what she did on Voyager because she did a lot of astrometrics and blah 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 blah. I don't know. We can maybe go back to that, but let's just say Seven of Nine is there. She's a member of the crew. We can determine her position later if it even matters. Okay. It it might not matter with the story that we're telling. So let's not sweat it too hard. There there we go. There we go. So Picard, Riker, and Troy, and Worf 
and Beverly is on there. Is she or isn't she? Yeah, because, I mean, she could potentially be traveling with Jean-Luc to the delegation, but what if she's doing her own thing? I mean, what if they're yeah. based out of San Francisco and she's back at Starfleet Medical teaching or doing something? Like, we got to get her on there somewhere, but I don't mm -hmm. want her just to be tagging along with Picard. Exactly. I feel like she needs to be her own woman here. So maybe she's not, and we've got to find a way to fold her into the story a little bit later. Is she, I mean, do we go as brazen and say that she's a medical officer on the Titan? She's not. She's so not. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. How do we get her on there? No, why would you go to the Titan after serving on the Enterprise? That's like, no offense, Rikers, but that's like taking a step down. <laughs> as much as you might love the Rikers. I, no, she. I think, honestly, maybe she is off planet, but I think she's based in San Francisco. She and Jean-Luc both are, but they travel a lot. And so she doesn't have to be based on Earth right now. She could be anywhere. What if she stayed on the Enterprise? What if she's one of the people who stayed on the Enterprise regardless of Picard leaving because she is a she is her own person and yeah. she has her own career and she's like, I'm not ready to leave this ship. Does that put their relationship in jeopardy then where maybe they're not married but and maybe they're in a long-distance relationship but they're not like together, together, together like all the time. Like, yeah. oh yeah, we are going to get married next week because that's a, that's a tough thing to do there. And then, okay, if that's the case, then that would give him even more incentive to go along. And we could have this really cool moment at the end where one of them or both of them say something as cheesy to the effect of, I'm not losing you again, you know, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's where my mind was headed to, whereas after this mission, they decide enough is enough. Let's yeah. be together. Okay, we Love can it. do that. Okay, so half the crew is basically on the Titan now, and the other half is on the Enterprise. And so the Titan crew needs to get to the Enterprise, and they need to save the day together. Yes. Yes! Okay. See, that was something that I always wanted to see. I always wanted to see the Enterprise-E as well as the Titan in battle together, like like in Star Trek Undiscovered Country, where we see the Excelsior yeah. and the Enterprise-A kicking ass. Yeah, I mean, how freaking awesome was that? And you know what? I I'm sorry, but in a real-life situation, <laughs> Will Riker would have been promoted years ago. And I know that he turned yeah. it down. He wanted to be on the Enterprise, but eventually they would have forced him. So that kind of brings up the question, why the Titan? Why when he did? Do we need to go into that a little bit? Like, what is so special about the Titan? Because maybe we need to get to know the ship just a little bit. Like, why is she such a beauty? Okay, so I guess we could give it an edge. I guess we could give the ship an edge on the Enterprise. I don't like the ship design of the Titan that's that's mm. in the novels. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I think it's too small. I don't think it's impressive. I want something that is equal to the Enterprise, if not better in some way. It's not the flagship, but it has something that gives it that edge where Riker's like, yeah. Yeah, cool. I agree. It's got to have some sort of feature that makes it stand out somehow. So, like you said, so the Riker finally says, okay, this is the one. This is worth it. What if it's a Prometheus-class vessel? You love that ship. I do, I do. <laughs> I should have guessed. I, I should have known that was coming. I mean, I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed at all. What if this is the first Prometheus-class vessel that's made outside of the NX? Every class of ship that's made, the first one that's made is named after its class. So the USS Galaxy was the first 
Galaxy-class starship. The USS Constitution was the first Constitution-class. Same with Excelsior right. and everything like that. And so with the Prometheus, the first one is called the USS Prometheus. So the Titan is the first non-NX Prometheus-class starship. They got all the bugs out. It's got the three-vector assault mode, and it is top of the line. This is a ship to patrol our borders and Idea. that's why they want to send Riker. This is the top of the line in terms of battle sequence. You need a ship that can maneuver. You need a ship that can fire all the torpedoes. This thing is so battle ready, it'll make you cry. And right, maybe Riker says something at the beginning where he talks about how this is a ship that is, he always considers it a ship of exploration but it's a ship of exploration that carries a really big stick. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a really big gun, but stick, oh, fair enough. It's going to have a well, joystick, isn't it? No, no, that's it's a play off of the speak softly and carry a big stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, but I was also thinking Insurrection where Riker Oh, like when he has the joystick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, that can, make a, that can make a cameo. He's probably got to. that on the armchair, of, on the captain's chair. <laughs> God. I loved that moment. I loved it. I don't care what anybody says. I thought it was awesome. It was stupid. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say it wasn't. I said it was awesome. <sighs> okay, okay. Moving on. It could be on. two things. Moving on. So, okay. So, so Prometheus-class starship, but it's the USS Titan. And we need to get to Romulan space fast. So that's another reason why the Prometheus needs to go, because it, it has a cruising speed of ridiculous proportions. So let's say it's super fast, super well-armed, easily maneuverable, yada, yada. Tacticians think it's the best thing ever made. And they gave it to Riker because he was the XO of the flagship for a ridiculous amount of time. Forever. And he finally accepted a command. Or did yeah. Riker, you know, we don't have to necessarily put this in the movie, but maybe when he saw this ship, you know, was reading the specs on it or something, it's Starfleet magazine, what have you, you know. Ooh. Oh, oh, I want that. And so <laughs> yeah. like, in a way, like the Titan, that's like, it's his toy. He loves it. And that finally yeah. made him, that pushed him off of the Enterprise finally to take his own command. I love that idea. I think that's such a great idea. There we go. I mean, and it kind okay. of fits Riker. I mean, he, he likes his toys. He likes to play. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... We're, we're do we need to make this a part two? Yeah, oh, oh my gosh, we need to make this a part two. We really do. Well, I mean, we had to set it up and we had to kind of evaluate what to keep and what not. I think we established that. And so next week is going to be part two. So I want to know from our listeners, do you like what you hear so far? Do you like where this is going? Let us know. You can reach me personally on Twitter at Oh the Profanity. Tristan, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Insane Robin, and please, please, please go to thenerdparty.com where you can find all of our other shows, and you can also send us an email by going to thenerdparty.com/contact. Select "Punch It" from the drop-down menu, fill out the form, it sends us it sends us a message, and uh, we thank you in advance for all of your input, and we thank everyone that does write us on the regular, and you can find the network Twitter page at join Nerd Party. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/thenerdparty. And, uh, and also, if you like the show, if you, uh, if you find us entertaining, please go to iTunes and give us a review. If you give us a five-star review, we'll mention you on the show. I never thought 
Shar, that I would ever say this, but I am excited that we're going to be talking Star Trek Nemesis next week. <laughs> Again next week, because you know that it's going to get so punched. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.